everyone, and welcome to another episode. I'm your host, Cesar Romero, and today I have the pleasure of having Brie Sarlati with me, joining us on the show. Uh, Brie is the uh, CEO and founder of um, Peak Performance Staffing Agency, uh, and they, they, they focus on placing individuals with uh, chronic uh, health conditions and disabilities, and we're going to be diving deeper into DEI staffing uh, and how she got started in the industry. So Bree, thanks so much for, for joining. Great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk. Absolutely. Um, before we dive into your background, um, there was something on your LinkedIn profile that, that stood out to me and I want to start off there. Uh, and it was um, another lookbook, right? And I, I, I think it's not uh, active anymore, but I was just curious to to ask you, like, wh- where did that come from? You know, wh- and where does the love for old books come from? Yeah, tell me more about that. Um, well, I've always been a very, very big reader, and uh, that it was a it was a blog, it was a website that I started um, after right after college um, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next, and um, I also, you know, I'm kind of because I'm such an avid reader, sometimes I get um, overwhelmed by the choices out there. So I was digging into different kinds of books and that's where I discovered in a nutshell, they're like the books that your library still has, your local library, but they don't keep on the shelves, they keep them in storage. Mm. So my goal was like, let's bring those things out of storage and um, breathe some new life into these old books that sometimes were bestsellers in their day. So that nice. was a passion project of mine after college. That's awesome. And um Man, there's so many questions I want to ask you on this, but I want to make sure uh, we don't stray too far from, from our uh, North Star. But I want to ask you, from starting this project, um, I guess what, what is some of the books that, that stood out to you or if you remember anything, any highlights or, or anything that, yeah, anything that, that stood out to you? Because I, I, I find it very interesting because I, I also love books. Um, so I, I I can definitely relate to it. Like if if I could have it my way, Brie, I, I would just live in a in, in a library, just constantly yeah. reading, reading books. <laughs> See, well, if I could have it my way, if I could create a job that uh, is not going to exist, except that I guess is sort of a librarian. I didn't ever want to be a librarian though, but uh, I wanted to be like a person in the corner of the library who someone comes up and they're like, yeah tell me, what should I read next? And I'll be like, oh my God, (laughs) what have you enjoyed? Tell me about what you've enjoyed. So I guess that is basically like a librarian, but again, um, yeah, I I found um, a lot of um, what's called mid-century middle-brow authors. So um, it was women who wrote books in like the 1950s who they're not really like loud, splashy kinds Mm. of books. They tend to be more quiet. They're about domestic issues, you know, marriage problems or children problems or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, to me, they were very insightful. And they're also interesting because my other love is history. So I like to look at those and see what were the, the, the issues of the day, um, not on a big scale that we read about in history books, but what were the problems that people had in their daily lives? Right, absolutely. And because I, I hear this often and I want to get your perspective on this. And this is, will be, I promise, it will be the last question about books. And then we'll, we'll transition. <laughs> okay, I can talk about books all day. Don't worry. <laughs> into your background. But I, I keep hearing that, you know, a, a lot of the most recent books, they're essentially uh, old knowledge, just repackaged and repurposed differently. 
Um, what are your thoughts on this? And, and would you recommend people, especially young people, to read more, I guess, foundational books and you know, older books? Um, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, I think just like um, it's always important to study history to me because mm -hmm. you want to make sure that you're not unknowingly repeating it or falling right. into the same traps. Um, to me, so part of part of why I love books and why I, um, in my perfect world, everyone would be huge readers, is that um, you know we're we're limited by only living one life. Yeah. But to me, um, like life, a successful life is about taking an empathetic approach to those around you. And there are lots of ways to do that, but one of them that's really valuable from my perspective, again, as a reader, is through reading, because I might never exist in this time or place. I might never exist in another country even, um, or another just life perspective, even in our current era. But by reading books about it, to me, it gives me, um, uh, it adds richness to my own life. I agree with you 100%. It's like um, you enter into the author's world, into the author's realm, so to speak, right? And, and you're able to transport yourself uh, almost um, when you read a book. Um, and, you know, I, I, I have a daughter, she's four years old, and she has more books than <laughs> we could read probably in, in a week. Um, but I, 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 I want her to, to provide her that environment where, you know, she can, she's surrounded by, by, by books, by stories and whatnot. So, um, mm -hmm. anyways. Well, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Now, transition, shifting gears here a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. Tell me more about Peak Performance Staffing Agency, you know, what, what you're currently focusing on uh, in uh, how, how, how you got started in the industry. Because, you know, every time I ask this question, I get different answers. So I'm, I'm curious to know your, your journey. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my lifespan almost matches Peak Performers because Peak was started in 1994 mm -hmm. by my father, Charlie Graham. Um, I was five years old at the time and we live in Portland. Um, so I'm, I'm not a native Texan, um, but um, when, uh, when my dad started Peak in 1994 in Austin, Texas, mm -hmm. um, it was started as a nonprofit with the purpose of employing people with disabilities, but really on a, in a bigger way, it was about um, what we call is our mission statement, setting a higher standard of employment for people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. The other term that we add in there is chronic conditions, because right. a lot of people who have what the ADAAA would call a disability wouldn't, don't see themselves as disabled. So they're, they're automatically, um, excluding themselves from our jobs. So that's why we mm -hmm. use the term um, chronic conditions because it applies um, to a lot of people and people resonate with that term a little bit more. Why, why, why did your dad, why did he decide to focus on you know, this particular segment? So both of my parents come from um, the world of vocational rehabilitation. So mm -hmm. their, their lives really have been spent for the purpose of um, making life better for people with disabilities. Both of my parents actually had siblings. Um, for my mom, it was her youngest sister. And for my dad, it was a foster brother um, who had significant disabilities that placed huge barriers in their ability to um, live anything like normal lives. So that was really important in their like formative years. 
And um, that was how they met. My parents both met through their work in the voc rehab world. And then um, when Charlie started Peak Performers, it was with a slightly different vision of how to execute that mission. Got it. Totally makes sense. And you mentioned your dad started the, the company when you were five years old, right? So at what point when you're growing up, right? When, when you're, uh, I guess in, in your adult years, I, 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 what, at what point you decided, you know what, this is something that I want to be involved with and, and really turn it into a career, right? Uh, yeah. what, what was yeah. a fork on, on, on the road for you? So um, I never intended to go into the family business. Um, I'm one of three kids. Two of the three of us work for the business. Um, my sister's <laughs> the only one who doesn't. She's out in California doing her own thing. <laughs> um, but um, so I majored in anthropology in college. And my, my passion primarily in school was linguistic anthropology. I love looking at language and the ways that people use their, their language to um, express the things that they want to convey about themselves, about what they value, about who they are and all that stuff, as well as, you know, communicate information. Right. So um, I had intended throughout all of school that I was going to be like a career academic. That was really what I thought my path was. And then at the end of college, I had an identity crisis and realized that I didn't want to do that, that it wasn't going to have the impact on the world that I wanted to have with my life. So then the next question was, well, what do I do? Right. <laughs> because that was vetted by my plan and that was the only plan. So it took me a while. And that's actually when I started that another lookbook blog. Um, it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do. And I tried a couple of different things, um, including before I came to back to Austin to work for Peak, I was um, an AmeriCorps in West Virginia, uh, mm -hmm. working in a history, local history museum to help promote the local economy through heritage tourism. And uh, so then when I um, decided that I'd gotten everything I could from that experience um, and my year of service was up, um, my parents had asked me along the way if I wanted to come back and work for Peak. And I had worked for Peak off and on over the years, you know, during summer mm -hmm. and stuff. And, right, um, summer internships. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, there was a summer that I, I was our payroll department. And, um, <laughs> and what I learned from that is I am not a payroll person. I have mad respect for the people who are, right. who choose that route because that is not me. I can't do the same thing every week. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's complex for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I didn't, there wasn't really an appealing job for me to come back to when they kept trying to get me to come and work for Peak. But then um, we had started an IT staffing group in 2013. Mm -hmm. And uh, they asked me if I wanted to come back to Austin and work for Peak to help really grow this IT staffing department. And I said, hmm, that sounds interesting. That sounds like a challenge. And that sounds like it could be interesting. Right. So that was the beginning of things for me. Um, when I started in the business, I had, you know, I had to start in the proverbial mailroom, which was our, at the time it was our IT recruiting support. <laughs> um, I uh, did things like shopped for our first ever ATS. Uh, we had used only paper files before. And um, I'm generally a very tech forward kind of person. Um, so that's a lot of the changes that I've made to peak over the years. So in, um, I guess it was 2017, um, Charlie and I, started on a formal path of succession because so peak is a nonprofit. Right. 
Um, and with a nonprofit, you can't sell it. So, you know, he spent the the second half of his career really building peak into right. this thriving enterprise. And the question of my parents was, well, what's, what's next? Mm -hmm. Because you can't sell it. So um, when I became his successor, that solved a lot of things or the long-term of what was the continuity plan for peak to make sure that he'd be able to retire and that peak would continue to grow and thrive. So in uh, 2018, I became the VP of operations and then um, I think I was president for a while and then we were co-CEOs for about a year and a half. And then um, as of February of 2021, I've been the sole CEO. That's amazing. Con congrats on it is, this, this is an amazing journey. Um, and what, what was, I guess, the biggest change for you, you know, going from individual contributor to now taking on the leadership, right? And, and um, for, for Peak, you know, what, what Maybe something in your in your mindset, or, or or some of the changes that you 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 had to make as you were taking on that new challenge. Um, well, you know, I know that um, this is always a challenge for leaders who like rise up through the ranks. Um, mm -hmm. Is that you know I've I've done every job at Peak, right? So the challenge for me is to make sure that I don't continue to do every job. Oh my it's god! To, yes. to hire really good, competent people to come in and do those jobs. And then um, provide tools and resources and help them, certainly, but otherwise just kind of get out of the way um, and not try to do their job for them. And I find that's, that's a lot of the trap that um, people can fall into if they're not prepared to get out of the way of the people that they've hired to backfill them. And that is a very common trap. And it, it happens to me and it happens to some of my friends that, you know, they get to caught up in the, in the task, I guess, in the list of things. And they struggled with delegation, with, with um, getting themselves out of the job, so to speak, right? So that they can take on a leadership role or uh, whatever next step that is. So thanks for, for mentioning that because I think that's very, very common, but um, I guess in, in practice, it's, it's hard to get out of. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is no one wants to be managed by a leader who does that either. Oh He's God, always no. coming and telling you what to do. <laughs> No, no, like yeah. nobody, right? So it's like, um, yeah. So I wanted to ask you about being being recognized, right? You know, th through throughout the years and through the through the body of work and peak, peak performance, um, you've been recognized, um, you know, as the forty under forty list, um, and you've also been being recognized as. I think where you were you were, you were nominated, uh, you know, for the best CEOs in Austin. Um, mm -hmm. What what um, is what's what's been the most? Also, what what's been one of the secrets, you know, for for innovating in this space, right? Especially um, when you're focusing on, uh, you know professionals with, with disabilities and, and, and chronic conditions? Yeah. Um, so when I um, started at Peak, one of my projects was also um, our social media and increasing our web presence. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that was still the relatively early days of SEO. Um, but that was one of the projects that I did, like I was mentioning before, I actually came here and worked full time. Right. <laughs> um, so at the time, it felt like 
peak performers was kind of um, like a best kept secret in Austin. And one of my objectives is, is to not be, hopefully still be the best, but not be a secret. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's amazing even, um, you know, being out in the community and hearing um, all the people who came through peak at one point in their career. And that's something that we always are celebrating as a, as a team. When we hear those success stories of people down the road, or they get back in touch with us and say, Hey, this is where I am now. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. So it's, there's, um, there's a lot of responsibility though, that comes with taking on an organization that is so old and well-established, especially mm-hmm. in a community. So um, like one of the, the things that we embarked on last year in 2021 was um, growing our staffing footprint. So up until then we had been primarily Austin, but really wider Texas. Mm-hmm. And then um, as of last year, we started staffing across the country. So that has been a big, big change. Um, and it's very exciting though, um, because <laughs> yes. we get to, to tackle all kinds of new challenges and um, figure out operationally um, how things should work. And, you know, while staying true to our mission, of course, but that's been the most encouraging part is to see that businesses out there um, are really eager for a mm-hmm. staffing vendor like us, for really a partner who's going to help them put some meaning behind their diversity and inclusion goals. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of them, they'll have these, um, these statements, you know, it, they feel like it's something that like their, their staff really care about. Um, often the only way that they know how to challenge to, to take on that challenge is by bringing on diverse suppliers, you know, when the businesses or something. Um, but the challenge is that doesn't actually have any impact on their workforce because right. the, the staffing vendor is just hiring candidates just like any other vendor. Mm-hmm. So that's really what, what we do different um, is we have an actual impact on the diversity of the organizations that we staff. Now, I- a couple of questions here uh, to follow up on this. One from the client side and another one from the candidate side. From the client side, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about DEI. And the, my perception at least is that there's more awareness now about the importance of diversity in the workplace. But it seems to me that um, companies get stuck in the implementation aspect of this. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I wanted to get your advice or thoughts on what are some of the growth opportunities that um, you are seeing in, in this space and how, how can organizations, you know, any type of system or any, anything, right, that, that can help them actually uh, implement this initiative effectively? Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of organizations think about the D part. They think about diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, equity sometimes makes its way into the picture. But um, when you think about inclusion, that's where I feel like um, a lot of companies kind of shoot themselves in the foot. Because mm-hmm. um, I, I like to use the example of um, a cell phone because it's a technology that everyone has probably right. within like a foot radius of them right now, you know, it's right here um, I certainly do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so when you think about the design of something like a cell phone, it's supposed to be ubiquitous. Their goal, um, whether it's Apple or whoever is to get it into the hands of every single person, right? That's their objective. So they're mm-hmm. trying to make it as user-friendly, 
um, uh, they want people to treat it like another appendage on their body, you know? So in order to do that, they have to think about all of the different needs of all the different kinds of users that they might have. So I use that analogy um, when it comes to workplaces because um, employers will often think, oh, we we gotta get some more diversity in here. But the next level thinking to me is looking at your organization around your processes, your systems, your culture, looking even at the physical layout of the space Mm -hmm. and thinking, how are we making this inclusive for all different kinds of people who might be here? Because if you're, if you're hiring um, diverse people, let's say you have a goal of bringing on this many people that check a box of diversity, they're not going to stick around unless you're also focusing on the inclusion piece. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. I, I feel the same way as well. Like the inclusion part is uh, almost an afterthought, like currently, right? people are getting more about the diversity. Um, it's a work in progress. I, I'm, I'm very optimistic that we're gonna to get to a point where uh, we, we have this honed in. Um, now from, from the candidate side, right? And what, what's the biggest difference in, in, in terms of the overall candidate experience? Um, you know, if you were to place or, or to bring on uh, professionals with, uh, a disability or, or, or you know, with a, with a chronic condition, why are some of the things that uh, are different, right, in terms of the, the candidate experience? Yeah, um, well, I can only really speak to what we do. Um, mm-hmm. And as a, as a nonprofit that exists for the purpose of employing these individuals, yeah. um, you know, we, we can follow a slightly different process, which really is something that we've created and fine-tuned over the many, many years we've been in business. So it's about, um, you know, people, we, we talk to them about specific jobs and then we invite them to disclose their disability or chronic condition. Mm-hmm. And um, if they say, oh, no, I don't have anything. Um, then we have another conversation with them to make sure that we've really dug in and we have the same definition that we're working with here of what we're talking about when we talk about a disability or chronic condition. And they go, oh, yeah, oh, I guess I do have something that would qualify. And they say, great, that makes you a priority candidate in our process. So what that means is that if we're limited in the number of candidates that we can submit to our client, we're going to submit only the people who have disabilities or chronic conditions. Mm-hmm. So um, what we ask them is if there's any accommodation that they would anticipate that they'd need in order to be successful in the job that we're talking about. Most people say no, um, because uh, either they don't need an uh, accommodation of any kind or um, as a you know, we talk mostly we, we focus on like mid-career or senior professionals, um, some of them with many, many years of experience. So if they've been working with a chronic condition or disability this long, they already know what they need on the job in order to right. be successful. They already have the tools. Um, so really it's, it's about making sure that we're there to support them. Um, and also that they know that that disability information is held confidential with us, that it's not shared with our clients. Um, so, you know, it's, we form real relationships with our candidates and that's, that's one of the things that makes us successful just as a staffing company in general, mm-hmm. um, and allows us to have, like I was talking about earlier, the, the big, big impact on our local community, certainly. Um, but it's really the, the strength of those relationships and them knowing that there's someone who knows the full picture of what's going on in their life, in this case, medically, what might be going on so that if they're ever on assignment for us and struggling with something, they can have a candid conversation with us and we can serve 
as their advocate in many ways. You know, they still have to do the job and be successful from the client's perspective, but we often act as this intermediary to make sure that they have all the tools and they have the support they need to be successful. That's so important, right? Feeling like you are that uh, strategic partner uh, and that advocate for them. Um, yeah. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm curious on, on the candidate side, um, I mean, uh, sorry, from, on, the, on the client side, right? On, on the organization. Um, how do you, I guess, filter uh, the, the type of organizations and the type of clients um, because I'm, I'm assuming, right? And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm learning as, as much as on this topic as, as possible. But I'm assuming that you know, some, some organizations, some clients might not be a fit to collaborate with, with peak performance or you know, similar staffing organizations. That is, yeah, that is unfortunately true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we work for is we don't want to just be another vendor in a program, let's mm-hmm. say. Um, you know, you have, let's say 20 different vendors and we'd just be number 21. Um, we don't like to be in vendor neutral situations either. Um, I know no one does, but for us, there's a, like a bona fide reason why that's not going to be the best fit for us or for our candidates and there for the client. Um, because we really have to have, um, the ability to talk directly with our hiring managers that we're working with to make sure that we understand things like the work environment. Um, When we put this person on this job on Monday, where are they going to be sitting? Mm -hmm. You know, what's the, what's the noise environment? Like, are they able to wear headphones? How close are they to a bathroom? Things like that. Um, And that's just the kind of stuff that isn't going to, we're not going to have productive conversations if we're just in a vendor neutral or arm's length, we're just another vendor set up. Exactly. So that's that was my assumption that you have to be very selective, right? To to preserve the the mission of peak performance, because otherwise, mm-hmm. right? It's um, I don't think it it will work out, right? So I was just curious yeah, about we're not. That. I mean, ultimately, it doesn't serve our clients or our candidates if we're not having those kinds of dialogues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, in, in terms of of trends, right? And there's a lot of trends right now, and and you know, in, in staffing, but also in, in in technology in general, um, what are some of the biggest trends that, that you're following closely, you know, in, in staffing, right? Anything that, uh, yeah, like you're following close attention or, or anything that uh, you see making a, a big impact, right, within the next year, three years? Um, well, you know, I know a lot of people like to talk about the rise of AI and how that might impact recruiting and, you know, whether like, oh, are, are recruiters going to be outdated in right. how many years? I hear that a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, I understand why people who are selling those technologies would absolutely say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but from our perspective, especially like I said earlier, you know, we, we work with, on a very close relationship. There's a, there's a lot of trust that's built um, yeah. between our candidates and between our clients. Um, I just don't know how that can be replicated without, person, you know? So it's like, yeah, we, we certainly use tools and we use um, some AI kind of tools, just like I think any other staffing company does now that has like a good sophisticated ATS, but um, still fundamentally, you have to have really good people. Cause I don't know about you, but if I were a job seeker, um, I wouldn't really want to be matched by a bot. <laughs> my, especially, oh, I'm going to move my family across the country because <laughs> the bot told me this would be a great job, and the algorithm says 
a perfect fit. Um, it's, I agree with you. you know, recruiting is about relationships, certainly mm-hmm. good recruiters. I was talking to someone today, actually, on, on that very specific, that, uh, yeah, technology might help optimize right, some of the processes in the overall recruiting cycle. But it, I don't know, it's never going to take away that relationship. Because right? that, that, uh, that is the goal of, of staffing, right? That is the building that relationship with the candidate you know, or with the organization. I don't think there's any technology that can substitute that, right? Uh, yeah. Well, you know, a, a good recruiter also can take someone and like look at the person as a whole, not just as a piece of paper resume and see what's the potential of this person. And they can match that person with a new opportunity that could set them off on a whole awesome career trajectory that if they were looking at the piece of paper, might not have been a perfect fit. Mm -hmm. So that's really the concern to me is that if we're, if we're reducing the recruiting process to those little, you know, key phrases and stuff, um, I just, I'd be concerned that um, it will make literal job matches, but not aspirational job matches, if that makes sense. Right. Exactly. I agree with you. And, you know, there's also something to say, a job, right? It's one of the most important aspects of someone's life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you, as a recruiter, right, just just see someone as, as oh, you know, just as a piece of paper, a resume, or whatnot, um, and you don't really dive deeper into this person's goals and aspirations, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, right? Most most likely you can place this person, but they might churn in 90 days, right? They might churn in six months, right? Because that that wasn't really uh, the job for them, right? And yeah. if, if you had taken the time to actually dive deeper, uh, you might have done differently, right? So, um, and, and speaking of, of recruiters, right? Uh, as it relates to, to peak performance, uh, what are some of the qualities that you, that, that you look for when you hire recruiters or when you bring them into your organization? And what, what, what are some of the things that uh, stand out to you? Um, we look for people who are above all else, highly collaborative mm-hmm. um, because that's really what makes, um, that ma- that's what makes our team what it is. It makes us incredibly effective at what we do. It's also historically been the key to our higher retention um, of our recruiters and of every role, really. It's the collaborative piece. And I know that um, sometimes in other places in the staffing industry, um, it can get really cutthroat. You know, yep. <laughs> recruiters holding on to holding on to candidates, saying, no, this is mine. I have dibs on them oh for the God. next 60 days yes. or whatever. Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't serve the candidate, the client, or the employer, the, the com- staffing company well. So everything in our process is designed around collaboration. Um, and uh, when we get seasoned recruiters in here, sometimes they're really skeptical about that. Right. Um, but uh, once, they, once they dig in and um, learn, oh, this is like the way I always wanted to work, but I wasn't able to because the business just wasn't set up like that. You know, yeah. my stats weren't set up like that. Yeah. Um, it, it tracks down to, you know, commissions as well. It's just, um, it's a completely different approach. And that's, uh, that's part of what we look for in recruiters. Can, can, can you describe maybe one instance or one example of what this collaboration like, looks like, uh, in, you know, maybe with tools or um, processes? Yeah, I, I can actually give you a statistic, which is that um, 
So redeployment rates, um, apparently a lot of staffing companies don't even bother to track those because it's, yeah, it's not a priority. It's, it's not, not measured. Um, they they yeah, say that it is, but it's not, trust me. <laughs> yeah. Um, ours, when we last measured it, um, ours is 49%. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's way, way up there. Yeah. So again, like I said, it's, it's about sharing candidates to make sure that, oh, I have this job over here and I have this person coming off assignment. Let's put them back to work quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely serves the candidate well. It also helps us to continue to foster those close relationships with our candidates because we use them repeatedly. You know, we, we right. hire them repeatedly across multiple assignments. Exactly. And something that I just thought about, you know, being a nonprofit makes you more focused on impact, right? Because uh, most, most staffing agencies out there, you know, they're for profit, revenue, it's like one of the main metrics. How can we scale and get bigger? Um, but I think being a nonprofit, right? It's, it's like the, the mindset is different. It's, it's more about the impact that you, that you can have in both the client and the candidate. Uh, mm-hmm. would, you, would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, of course, another criteria when we're talking with our um, recruiter candidates is we want to make sure that you actually are passionate about, um, about the people that we work with um, and our mission. You have to. And I can right? tell you that if, if they're only fine candidates without a disability and they're coming to us saying, hey, I really want to present this person, we're going to say, you got to dig deeper. We need to, we need to find some people with disabilities that we can put to work who have all these same criteria. Yeah. Yeah, now it's um, one thing that you mentioned that uh, I, I remember is that, you know, I, I have a friend, well, two friends, but this one in, 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 in particular, she, she has a disability, right? And for the longest time, she was, I guess, shamed and experienced guilt, one mm-hmm. of, of having this disability, and she never felt comfortable sharing it. Um, mm-hmm. what, what advice would you have for, for someone that might be going through this, you know, that might be experiencing those feelings of shame and, and guilt, um, uh, and it, it, it might be hindering their, their growth in their career. Um, mm-hmm. what, what advice would, or what recommendations would you, would you have for this? Well, I'd say she should, you know, come apply at peak performers <laughs> because we can, right we can overcome, yeah, we can overcome a lot of those feelings um, yeah, because but, again, but, this is, this is who we work with. Yeah. They're, they're real, you know, and, and uh, when you mentioned that, you know, a light bulb went in my head and I want to make sure that I want, I want to ask you that and just get your advice on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, most of the candidates that we work with, because again, our, our primary candidates are um, the professionals, um, you mm-hmm. know, they have, uh, a lot of skin in the game. They have careers. Um, they might have higher education. You know, they've, they've invested a lot to get right. where they are in their career. And um, most of them have never shared with an employer um, this disclose what their disability or chronic condition is. Right. Um, because why would they? You know, if in a standard employment setup outside of peak, um, there'd be no incentive for them to do so. Nothing, it can yeah. only hurt them, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I know it is, it is the, um, in my view, the still unfortunate way of the world. Um, but that's why I say the only, the only solution I know of is to, to talk to one of our recruiters at Peak Performers because uh, they'll help someone feel like they are worthy um, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. And also that when you share this information, you can trust who you're sharing it with. It's held confidential. This is what we do. This is all we do. Every year, we put people to work with disabilities. That's all we it. do. That's so important. I, I, I'm so grateful that you guys exist. 
because we need we need more of this, uh, not not just in staffing, but I think in the workplace, right? This this type of mindset, this this type of thinking, um, and um, yeah. And to to add on to that, one of my um, uh, one of the things that we talk about at Peak. Um, when we talk about helping people feeling comfortable and, you know, what is the value of what we're doing in the mm-hmm. bigger, bigger picture of the world. Um, I think about this term called covering. It's a social science term. So, you know, again, social science background here. Um, <laughs> and um, everyone does some element of covering in their daily lives. So what that means is that um, they are perceiving something about the group or the environment around them. And they perceive that, their authentic identity will not be well received if they mm. communicate all of it. So they cover a certain part of it rather than be completely open about who they are, what they are, how they feel. And so again, That's, like this is, this is sort of an adaptive behavior that people have in order yeah. to fit in places. Um, but uh, and I think about that a lot in the world of disability Mm-hmm. Because um, especially a lot of people that we put, we put to work have invisible disabilities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's where you're looking at them and you might not know right. that they have a disability or chronic condition. Um, you might not know what they have going on. But that doesn't discount the fact that they do have something going on that also could be severely impacting their life, which could include their work. So that's the beauty of what we do in a bigger picture to me is that we provide a way for people to be authentic about who they are and the struggles that they're going through and get the support that they need while still keeping it, you know, in a professional tone and professional environment. Um, Yeah. I, I think it's um, a tragedy that people can't always be as authentic as they'd like to be. Mm -hmm. So that's where I'm, I'm happy that we're able to at least um, support some element of that. Yeah. You're doing a big impact. So well, thank thanks. you for that. Um, and even for me, like I, I, at least to my knowledge, I don't have any d- disability. Um, well, you haven't spoken to one of our recruiters yet. Sure <laughs> right, I right, I should, you. maybe I should. <laughs> um, but the concept of, of covering, I've been there before, right? Where mm-hmm. I, I've been in workplaces where you, you take some cues, right? From, from the culture and you're like, hmm. I don't think uh, being 100% myself is going to work on this one. So I'm, I'm yeah. going to behave this way or hide this, right? So I think a lot yeah, of people go through how that. How did that make you feel to do that? Not great because yeah. as what, you were, what you're saying now, whether you have a disability or not, you want to be authentic, right? You want to be 100% true to yourself. Yeah. And, wh- and when and- that is compromised, you know, it's not great. Yeah, and that's that's that bigger picture of inclusion too in workplaces. Mm-hmm. When you think about what are people covering about themselves when they come to work here, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Because if um, they have to cover every day, they're not going to stick around, especially in this job market. <laughs> no, they're not right. Especially, which is great segue. Uh, one of the things I want I wanted to touch on, you know, the the great reshuffle, the great resignation, and all this that you 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 keep hearing. Um, or a, the great reevaluation. You heard the great that one. Reevaluation. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Because I, I go back and forth. I think for some segments, yeah, you know, it, it applies. But for other segments, I don't think uh, they have as many options as you would think from hearing the great reshuffle, the great resignation. So I wanted to get your your thoughts on this, and you know, as as, as it relates to the work that you do through uh, 
peak performance. Um, well, you know, okay, again, with the social science lens here, yeah. <laughs> um, when you think about the amount of collective stress that, um, that our society has been through in the last two years, mm -hmm. and, you know, if you, if you were to take a single individual who went through something as stressful as, you know, COVID lockdowns and even things like, um, Black Lives Matter movement right. and how that may have impacted people and the way that they viewed themselves in the world. I mean, you know, now we've got war concerns. I mean, you name it really, it's like one thing to the next. So with that level of sustained um, and like endemic stress, to me, that's really what the, the great reevaluation or whatever you want to call it is. Um, it's just happening on a huge scale right now. And especially in markets like Austin, where the, right. the job market is hot, <laughs> very is. hot. It is hot. Now, what are your thoughts on this? Because from our perception, at least, it is hot if you're in tech. If you're not in tech, it doesn't seem as, as hot. Um, mm -hmm. would, you, would you agree with this or, or, or maybe I'm, I'm, I'm missing something here? Well, not from really what we're seeing. We're seeing it pretty well across the board, um, mm -hmm. especially with, um, you know, even if you wanna call it wage inflation or whatever is going on with the, mm -hmm. the lower end of the pay scale. Right. But it's just a fight for, for anyone who's willing to, to go to, to work. work at this point, you know, <laughs> right. especially if it's a job that requires you to be in an office. Yeah, it's um, it's the bidding up of wages that, um, and then like in, in Austin, the um, uh, the cost of apartments went up thirty percent in the last year. I don't know if you read that. Um, just just yeah. insane. So you know, people are trying to keep up with with mm -hmm. that um, cost of living increase as well. And um, I don't really know. I don't really know where it ends, but I guess I'm not an economist. <laughs> yeah, so there, there was a crazy stat I, I read in the local newspaper that for a family of four, making 80 to 85,000 a year was considered poor in Austin. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I when I read that, yeah. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, the average cost of a house is over $600,000 here now. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, but I guess it's part of this, this reshuffling that, that we're going through. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's a particularly like, yeah, everything coming together in Austin right now, which is not so great. So yeah. we're also really excited when we get the chance to recruit outside of this market too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and now going nationwide, right? Uh, yeah. That is going to be an, an yeah. opportunity I, for you. Yeah, and I do have to say that the, um, the move towards the higher acceptance of jobs being done completely remote mm. is not only great for the recruiting angle because you get to, in theory, hire anyone from anywhere in the country. Right. Um, whether they can be found might be a different thing, but you know. Um, <laughs> but that has been um, an extraordinary change um, for people with disabilities um, who wanted remote work, and there was really were a lot more limited options before the mm, pandemic yeah so if you want to see if you want to see the uh the bright side of this there, there is one um which is you know if someone has um let's say high levels of anxiety mm. and it and it's really um really sets them off if they go into an office or it's just an unnecessary added level of anxiety mm -hmm. um i mean they can get remote jobs anywhere and that's fantastic like those opportunities didn't exist before yeah that, I'm so glad you mentioned that because yeah, right now they have the opportunity to be remote, maybe set up their own office, 
like mine here is a work in progress yeah. <laughs> as we were talking earlier uh but yeah right uh it's it's something that take advantage of right of this remote work wave um and giving people more more options right hence the mm-hmm. the reshuffling that that we're experiencing um mm-hmm. now pretty to to bring home um let's say if if, if someone were thinking about you know i, I feel strongly about uh DEI work and I, I want to start a staffing agency focused on, on this segment. Um, what advice would you have for, for this person or for this group of people looking to um, get themselves into the game, into the industry? Um, yeah, you know, any any advice or any recommendation? Um, um. You know, my advice would, I guess, be from a legal perspective to look at different types of corporate structure and what mm-hmm. might be a good fit for you in the long term with that vision. Um, like Peak is a nonprofit; it's a five hundred one c three. But uh, I do I know that there are a couple of different staffing companies that might specialize in, let's say, um, hiring only women in tech. Um, like mm-hmm. we have one of those in Austin here. Right. Um, but it's possible to be a B corp. So you know, there are other options. Um, that are available and just, I know that that's a pretty nuts and bolts answer, but um, no, it's important. <laughs> and thinking, thinking about the the vision of where you want to go and like what your personal end game might be too. Those are important considerations. Yeah, definitely. You know, something that uh, if you don't think about those things, it, it can become a problem down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier of, to get it right from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a good one. Um, now in, in terms of, you know, you you being um, in charge of the direction of big performance agency. Um, how do you stay on top of trends or on top of your skill sets? I guess, right? You know, any book that you recommend? Being a book lover yourself, uh, or any training, any uh, workshop that you have taken recently that has helped you uh, level up your leadership? Um, any recommendations? Yeah, this is kind of meta because I can recommend a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Super meta. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I'd identify Peak as a a rapidly scaling, rapidly growing um, business. And um, I've particularly enjoyed uh, the Masters of Scale podcast, which is Mm -hmm. also like an app and you can be a member and subscribe and stuff. Um, But they, yes. Oh, good. You've heard of it. You're the only person I've spoken with who's heard of it. Yeah. Um, I almost yeah, signed up for the awesome. app. That's, that's why. But I'm like, ah, oh, man. Yeah, Anyways. if you get the app, you can get the uh, the full length, like not edited down interviews, and that's you know, that's pretty nerdy right there. But there's yeah. some good stuff because he interviews some amazing business leaders, and especially you might listen to it and think like, oh, I don't really have anything in common with this person because they have a different industry or whatever. Right. Um, but it's still important, I think, to keep your eyes open. Mm-hmm. And to think outside of your own comfort zone too in your own industry. Yeah. And anything that stood out to you, you know, from an episode or you know, from a recent, I guess from a recent episode from the Masters yes. of Scale. One of my favorite ones, um, and I always recommend people to start with this one, is the um Reed Hastings interview. Um he's the um CEO of Netflix. Mm. Um, and I was most interested to learn from that interview that even though we all know Netflix as originally starting with mailing out the DVDs, right. I don't know if you had a subscription back then. Yeah. 
Yeah, we, <laughs> we'd we fight did, over we whose, whose DVD was going to be next in the yeah. in the mailing list. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember my mom would get my mom would get upset if it was all kids stuff. You know, she's like, "I want some adult things in here." <laughs> so I was interested to learn from that interview that Netflix had this vision that broadband was going to be in homes across the country and people mm-hmm. would have internet that wasn't dial up. So they, they had this crazy concept like, back then. <laughs> yeah, I know. But it was like, it's going to be everywhere. This is going to be things. So their end goal was to be able to stream mm-hmm. media, but the technology wasn't in everyone's home then. Right. So that's why they started with DVDs, which is especially impressive when you consider that their entire business model had to then take this huge pivot. You know, mm-hmm. you think the DVD shipping business is completely different from an online streaming business. Yeah. So that's, that's really amazing to me. And especially when we talk about like the future of the staffing industry and yeah. the recruiting and AI and stuff that um, they knew where they were going. They just had to have a, an intermediary step. That's, that's just amazing to me. That's mind blowing to me, right? Because yeah. they, 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 they had the vision, they had the direction, but technology wasn't there. So they didn't get stuck in the how they were like, you know what, maybe we can start with this, but eventually I guess their big bet was that technology was going to, get caught up right yeah to that vision yeah. that's why sometimes you just gotta have faith right? it's faith that yeah. things are gonna I mean, work out <laughs> let alone their most recent pivot to actually creating content right for their streaming platform right yeah. that's, and that's another industry altogether yeah that's it <laughs> well awesome brie uh i just want to thank you for coming on the show sharing your journey telling us a bit more about uh your work with big performance um and I personally would love to have another episode and talk that deeper about DEI, right? And maybe bring bring on uh, a, a good friend of mine. She's in the industry, uh, Wen Stegner. You might know who she is, uh, or you might not. But um, yeah, I think uh, that, that, that would make for an interesting conversation. Uh, but, uh, but for now, I just want to say thank you. you know, this has been very insightful for me. And um, just getting to hear more about your work. It's been super inspirational. And, and um, you know, what, what's the best way, if people want to follow up after the episode, what's the best way to reach out to you? Uh, probably on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. I'm the only one with my name. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, well, we'll make sure to add that to the, to the show notes. Uh, yeah. No, thanks so much for cool. coming on the show. Thank you. It's been a blast. Some great conversation here. Thank you. Absolutely.